Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and if you want to check out that company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-host today, tonight, this morning, whatever it is, Brad, it's uh, Brad Hoppy from Musky Mayhem Tackle. And if you want to check out that company, check out MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Hey, Brad, it's good to talk to you again. We don't have a guest today, tonight, whatever it is. I'm always used to saying tonight because Brad used to record these at night all the time. But it's actually like, I don't know, whatever it is, just a little bit before 7 o'clock in the morning on Monday. As per typical, during this time of year, Brad's schedule is busy, my schedule is busy, and we're trying to record podcasts. So in an effort to put one out for this week, Brad and I had to work the morning shift here so we can get some stuff ready. Because I have baseball games to go to and all sorts of stuff to do between now and the time that this podcast needs to come out. So Brad... Thanks for coming on this morning, and then uh, why don't you talk a little bit about how musky fishing's been so far this season? Well, as you said, you know we're we're uh, cracking the morning hours now. The reason for that is we just had the longest day of summer here. What two days ago? Yep. And so the days are long, and so are the days on the water. But uh, it's been decent. I, I will say that. I mean, we're getting fish. We have had a mixture of craziness when it comes to weather, Jeff. We have had huge, huge winds. I don't know. I'm trying to think. We're, what, 15 days in, something like that? Actually, for, roughly, yeah. For Minnesota, anyway. It's Monday. So, anyway, with that being said, I'd say we've had five or six just giant wind days. And I'm talking about wind at 25 to 30 miles an hour with 40-mile-an-hour gusts and even 50-plus mile in our gusts. So I've had a couple days where we didn't even get out, but uh, three of those five or six days, we basically just ground through it and uh, wasn't able to fish just every piece of water that I wanted to fish and made things a little bit difficult. But uh, you know what? That's part of the game, and we just keep pounding away at it. Well, the unfortunate thing probably for you is that you, at this time of year, you're doing a lot of that open water deal, so you can't necessarily always duck away and find a place to go. The other thing, too, is, well, first off, I know where you live, and I think that's probably, like, one of the windiest places on earth. I know that when we were over there fishing the PMTT Championship, probably whatever that was, two, three, four years ago, time goes by so quick, I can't tell you for sure, and it was just unbelievable windy, that same kind of deal. I was fishing the front of the boat with Steve Jensen in the back of the boat, and I think we were probably teeter-tottering up and down about four or five feet. It was that bad. It was as much of a struggle as it was to throw your baits as it was just to try to stay in the boat. So I kind of know what you're dealing with as far as that over there, but you guys also have those, like I said, those big expansive lakes sometimes. It's harder to duck away from some of that than it is up in, you know, northern Wisconsin. You can find a, you just choose a smaller lake, you know. Yeah, ultimately, Jeff, we're stuck in some bays when that's when that kind of wind is coming across, you know, and uh, it makes it challenging. And you want to get out to some of the other spots, but you're just like, man, if I get out there, and I'm running a mass system, so when I'm doing that, I'm pulling my baits. You know, it gets it gets kind of wild. Those boards are getting pulled back, sucked back all the time, and we're pulling big baits, so it's pulling on the boards pretty hard already. But uh, it, it makes it a little bit more challenging, that's for sure. But all in all, we've had a decent season so far. Um, we've had some zeros already, but uh, 
started out really strong. I mean, literally, I was getting a fish every day, at least one. Things were looking good, but uh, this uh, this weather, crazy patterns, too, as far as the wind. I mean, we have three or four days with southeast, and all of a sudden it's northwest, and we've had many cold fronts. And I know it's made it's made some fishing challenging for a lot of people out there. I talked to a lot of different people across the state, and uh, it's not been, like, solid by any means, but it's kind of... Up and down. You talk to one guy, he's got three to five fish in the boat today. The other guys haven't seen a fish, you know. So all I can say is that uh, you got to get out there, get after it, and uh, you never catch them from the couch, Jeff. Unfortunately, that is 100% the case. I've never caught one from the couch yet. Caught one in a lot of different places on lakes, but never the couch. So, well, <laughs> well, that's not true. There was this one river I fished, and there was a couch that was in the river. I don't know what it was doing there. So we caught one close to the couch, but we never caught one on the couch. So anyways. That's funny. <laughs> but so over the course of the weekend, you sent me a text that somebody wanted us to kind of like reiterate, I would say like the practices on successful releasing muskies because with the additional pressure, their concern is that, you know, we're going to see some more delayed mortality or bad releases or whatever. So, Brad, why don't you do us a favor and just kind of go over the the ropes, I guess I would say, as far as, like, the process for putting a muskie in the net and try to make this as, you know, quick on the fish as we can. And we don't want to preach about it because a lot of, you know, we have people at different skill levels listening to the podcast. So the super diehards that have been doing it forever, you guys have a pretty good idea what you're doing. But for newer anglers that might not know exactly, let's just give them a kind of rundown as far as the the timetable it should take to get this fish in and out of the net and, and get this job done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, fish handling is always a topic, right? And it's really important. If you think about it, it's our responsibility to maintain the fishery and clean releases. The safety of the fish should be one of our ultimate goals. I mean, that's uh, it's one of the top priorities in my boat, I can tell you that. So, I mean, we can do the little quick rundown on what I've done. Um, actually, there is a video that I produced, I don't know, quite some time ago, but I think we released it to YouTube last year. And honestly, I don't even know exactly where it is on our YouTube channel, but uh, you can watch it. It's pretty interesting in the fact that I unpin the fish and I kind of run down real quickly like I will right now on how you handle that and how long that fish is truly out of the water. So what it looks like is once that fish is in the bag, you're going to keep that fish into the bag until you're prepared. And what I'm talking about when it comes to being prepared is you're going to unhook it, you unpin that fish, you get your bait out of the net, and then from there you got the prepare work, and that's preparing a camera, preparing the measuring board. One of the first things that you want to do with that board is dip it in the lake, get it wet so that it's all ready to go. You have that unfolded, your buddy's ready with the camera, maybe you're fishing alone and you're taking pictures by yourself, setting a timer or something like that. Um, I've never personally done that. I guess I didn't care that much about the picture, but anyway, uh, you're going to have all of that stuff ready. And once that's done, you're going to lift that fish out, and basically you can go right to the measuring board, or maybe you want to take a couple quick pictures first. But that really should look like about anywhere from 15 to the most 20 seconds that fish is going to be out of the water. 
So you pull that fish out of the bag, a couple quick pictures to the measuring board and back in the water that quick. I mean, it, it really doesn't take a whole lot of time. And if you're interested in seeing it being done, I know you can go to our YouTube channel, Muskie Mayhem Tackles YouTube channel, and if you dig around in our videos, you'll find it. All right, Brad, I dug that video up. It's Muskie Fishing Tips, Fish Handling and, and Release CPR. It's from about a year ago, two minute and two second video. So for anybody that wants to see the video, check out Muskie Mayhem Tackles YouTube channel. So, Brad, I guess let's just run down a few basics that you should obviously have when you go musky fishing. For me, it would be a big net. You're obviously going to want a net that's big enough to hold this musky that you're yeah, you're chasing. You're going to want to have some pliers. Some people use a mouth spreader, which I do occasionally, but I try to use it hardly ever if necessary. I mean, as little as I can because I think that's not like the best tool, but sometimes it's necessary to get a bit, you know, a bait out of a mouth. The other one you're obviously going to have is you're going to want to have good uh, hook cutters. Nipex is probably the one that I would recommend. I'm sure, Brad, you're probably on, on board with that, too. Yeah, you know, hands down, I was going to talk about that as well, Jeff, and you, you pretty much covered it. You know, your net that you're going to have that muskie on, that's basically a live well. You know, you, that's hanging over the edge of the boat. That fish is maintaining itself upright, and uh, if it isn't upright, make sure that you can kind of grab a hold of it and get it back upright. And uh, that's the live well while you're screwing around, getting your cameras prepared, measuring board, and proper tools. You're right. The Nipix long needle nose, definitely want those. And, you know, if those hooks are buried way deep in there, you know, sometimes it's quicker and easier just to cut those hooks. You can always replace them later, and it's, it's that simple. So definitely think of the fish's safety the whole time. You know, it's amazing people, I mean, think about it. Hold your own breath and see how long you can hold your breath. You know, that fish isn't going to be much different. So something to be considerate of is uh, maintaining its uh, cycle of breathing. Kind of funny fish handling story. I don't know if I'd say funny, but it's one of these where, so on Friday night, I think it was, I got a text from my sister. She's She was up north, and she said that they were on a pontoon boat ride, and they had to go save some guy that was pinned to a muskie. So apparently... He wanted to go out musky fishing right before the storm or whatever, in between breaks in the weather or whatever. So he catches a musky. He has no net, no release tools, no nothing. He, I don't know, I don't know what his exact plan was there as far as what he was thinking as far as how was he, how he was going to release this fish if he actually caught one, unless he just assumed he wasn't going to catch one, which, of course, that's when you're going to catch one. But anyway, so he's pinned to this muskie. He's screaming for anybody on the lake because he has one hook in one hand, one hook in another hand, and another hook in the in the fish. So they had to screw around unhooking him, getting him unhooked, called, called his son or whatever to, I don't know, it was just a whole fiasco. So just that's muskie handling gone wrong. Just make sure you go out there with your net and your players and your cutters because had you had a net, I'm guessing he probably tried to hand land it and then just bad things can happen when you do that. So just things to be mindful of. Well, I could tell you a lot of different stories about that. You know, I'm trying to shake off a smaller fish and a lot of times them smaller fish are the ones that get you. And, um, unfortunately I've been hooked quite a few times, Jeff, but, uh, it's part of the game as well. Definitely the safety of the fish, the safety of the fishermen, is to put them fish in a bag. You know, like I said, it's a big giant live well. Use it. I think there's one last piece to this as you're setting that fish back into the water. 
um, not only in the water, but we should back up just a second here, Jeff. As we lift that fish out, you know, vertical is not the way you want to do things. You definitely want to support the bottom of that fish. Um, as you lift vertically like that, those fish, all their internal organs are going to slide to the bottom. You know what I mean? They're made to be horizontal. So definitely something to think about. And as you bring in that fish out of the bag, you're going to have to bring it a little bit slightly vertical, and you're going to want to support under the belly of that fish. And uh, that way you maintain a horizontal position. Your pictures should be horizontal, and you're going to continually support that fish's body. As you go up, pictures, measuring, back into the water, you're going to support it in a horizontal position. The second part to that is, is once it's in the water, a lot of people, I see people wanting to go forward and backwards with the fish. That's not really what you want to do. You want to go side to side. So basically, their swimming motion as their tail would swipe left to right, that's kind of the motion that I'll use just to try to wake them up. And it's not aggressive. It's very, very slight movement. And basically, let that fish come back, and uh, they usually shoot right off. The other thing I would say that if you're on the water and you see somebody that's struggling with a muskie or has one in the net. It looks like maybe they're taking longer than they should. I don't know. This is going to be a kind of a delicate way to approach it because you don't want to step on anybody's toes, but you know, maybe just ask them, take a couple seconds out of your day, ask them if they need any help with it. Cause there's certainly people out there that haven't released lots and lots of muskies. So it might be a new situation for them or a relatively new situation. And they may have hooked a fish different than what they had previously. And they might be struggling with it. So just stuff to be, mindful i guess as we're on the water this summer like i said we had somebody that brought it up to us wondering if we could just kind of give a little bit of rundown on it just based off of what they had seen on the water recently and just said that the increase in pressure is potentially going to have adverse effects on the fishery which it certainly can but it can it can be just fine too if we all just you know take take our time get these fish released right and and do everything properly yeah, that's for sure, Jeff. You know, I mean, it's our responsibility, as I said in the beginning of this. If we want to have a solid fishery behind it, we definitely have to take care of the fish when we when we catch them. Well, the one thing that's going to hurt a little bit too, Brad, is that I know for most of the states around, they didn't do any stocking this year, so you're already going to be missing a, a year class of muskies. So that's just, it adds to the importance of making sure that this, not not only this year, but, you know, every year that we just try to have the best releases that we can. So with that being said, I don't know, Brad, I don't think we need to beat that horse anymore. I think we got it, got the idea across. I would totally agree. You know, and, and the other thing, Jeff, you, you mentioned helping others. And I think that's a huge thing. You know, I mean, we're all fishermen. If you see somebody doing it wrong, you don't chew them out. You, you just support them and help them, you know, and I think that'll go a long ways as well. Well, uh, on the, you know, going with the chewing out uh, thing, typically you find a lot of people that like to, shoot their mouths off on social media so that's probably not the best way to get your point across either if you're you know they what does they say you catch more bees with honey or something like that so i mean that's just something to be thoughtful of too that if like you see somebody supporting a fish the wrong way on social media don't just you know blast them maybe offer a suggestion on things they could do better as far as just like instead of just berating them and insulting them i don't think that's ever going to get your point across the right way hands down i think we're kind of going off course with uh what we want to do in this podcast but uh <laughs> it, it definitely is something to be considered of 
All right, moving on. So we had some listener questions that we had posted on, on Facebook, and we're going to catch a couple of those now. So, Brad, we had one question on open water settings on the Helix Gen 2 or Gen 3. I You had said that previously when we talked before we were recording about a few different things, but then the other thing too, uh, the other part of that question was, are you ever not using Mega to get more range? Do you want to shed some light on that one, Brad? I personally am running Mega the whole time, and the reason I'm doing that is I want the most power to be able to see. You know, you think about it. I'm I'm running a math line, Jeff, and with that math line, I'm out probably 60 feet away from the boat, and I'm still able to look out 100 feet wide, you know? So I run Mega the whole time, and the reason I do is I want the most efficient power that I can have. So... I uh, I personally don't know that there's any benefit of trying to spread that out anymore by uh, eliminating some of that power. Well, I think the one thing, Brad, that people talk about too is I'm, I think they assume that every time you're fishing in open water that you're going to mark muskies before you catch them. Is, I mean, I know that's not always the case for me. Is that the case for you too? You know, the funny thing is, is if you think about it, Jeff, the last two fish the, that we put in the boat, I never even seen on the side imaging. So there's times when when you're going to miss those fish. Um, as an example, too, I think two or three days ago, we had a loon that I drove up upon, and that loon was about eight feet from the boat. It dove down. I never seen it on the mega. I don't know exactly why. I thought I should have. It swam back behind us, and I never, ever seen it on the screen. So I think sometimes, you know... <laughs> We're missing fish, definitely. I mean, I just told you the last two fish I've never seen on the Mega. And my eyes are pretty much glued to it. So something to think about as well. You, you can't beat yourself up if you're not locating fish. On another example I can give you is, man, four or five days ago, on one of those bigger wind days, I literally feel that I marked 40 to 50 fish in that day. And I'm fishing long hours, but... Definitely some of them were probably the same fish. I kept going back over them, and we never got a bite. So, you know, just because you're seeing them doesn't mean that they're going to eat, and just because you're not seeing them doesn't mean you're going to catch. So definitely something to consider. So then, Brad, the one thing, the other thing you talked about in there was the open water settings on the Helix, you know, Gen 2 and Gen 3. So you want you told me that you typically throughout the course of a day you're changing settings a lot what are the main settings that you're playing with just to give guys an idea on what they what they should or shouldn't be doing on the water yeah you know when you hit menu when you're inside imaging the first two things that come up is sensitivity as well as your contrast and those are the two that you're going to play with um, for the most part i'm typically running around three to four miles an hour when i'm trolling and so I set my screen at three. My speed for my screen is at three. And I believe that that gives me the best readings. From there, definitely, you're going to want to screw around with the sensitivity and contrast. Excuse me, I, I might have said something different before, but it's contrast. Um, you know, here's the deal. There's no magic settings because you're going to have different bottom content, whether it's mud or it's sand you got to change continually. Now, if I'm running mud, boom, 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 mud is the dark part on the screen, 
and all of a sudden I come up on like a point that comes way out or just that bottom change. It might be sand. Well, the sand is really bright. You know, it's kind of washed out on the screen, if you will. And when you do that, if I'm going to go over that point or that little bit of change and then I'm right back in the mud, I don't bother changing the screen. I'm just going to kind of watch it, get back into the mud, and then I'm set again, right? So, but I am changing it continually. Now, if I'm going to switch from the mud and start running hard bottom, say a sand or gravel or whatever it might be, I'm definitely going to change my screen so that I'm set up to read that. Hopefully that helps answer some of that question. So then moving on, there was another one here that says, discuss open water on a non-whitefish tulipy lake. So for me, when I'm chasing fish in open water, I'm basically looking for the presence of any type of bait fish. I don't care if it's bluegills or perch or whatever. That's my that's my thing. That's my key. That's what, I mean, If you what is it? Find the food, find the muskies, that kind of a deal. I'll literally drive around and I'll find schools of them. And I don't always like to mark waypoints just because the schools will move around. So if I have a waypoint on my locator, I'm always going to assume that it's something somewhat important, some sort of structure-related deal. So I don't always want to do that, but I sometimes will, and then I'll delete it later, you know, as I come back to it, just because, like I said, that's that's a starting point for me. And I'll literally just, like I said, I'll cruise around for 5-10 minutes, see if there's any presence of bait. And then I'll start to fish and sometimes I'll either troll it or sometimes I'll cast it. I've done, I've done both. In fact, I've probably done better casting in open water than I have trolling in open water, but that's just because of the lakes that I fish and it's possible that the fish are just riding a little bit higher and that my baits trolling are running too deep. So Brad, on a non Cisco lake, whitefish, tulipy type lake, is your process much different? Really, ultimately it isn't different at all. You know, fish eat fish, and the one thing that you want to look for is those pods of bait fish. You know, just because you don't have tulipies or whitefish, it could be a perch base. Um, there's so many different species of fish that that can be the priority for that fish to be out there eating. And I've said it before, you know, your structure is bait fish. It truly is. And when you're out there, be watching for those schools of bait fish, and you're going to find a muskie somewhere in that area. I will say this, you know, I, I catch a lot of fish where there isn't any bait as well. So something to think about. But one of the things that you will find is as we start having some bug hatches, as the temperatures keep continuing to warm, um, the, the bug hatches are going to bring the bait fish out there. And I don't care if it's tulipy, a perch, it doesn't matter. Those fish are going to be there as the bugs start to hatch. So definitely something to consider. And I would certainly think that on many of the lakes that are going to develop an open water bite now is going to be one of those times where I know, you know, Brad's talks about having one right from the get go. Typically in Northern Wisconsin, I don't know that I've seen that, but I also don't necessarily know that that's a pattern I target a lot either. But right now, you know, like this mid June to, you know, whatever through the end of July, even potentially longer right now I would say is the time that you're going to want to start playing that game if you're into if you're into playing around in the open water now can be a good time 4th of July for me that that week was always like it seemed like it was like gangbusters or not gangbusters but that was like one of the peaks for me when I was out playing in open water was 4th of July was what I always used as like the I want to say like that was a for sure during during that time frame is when I was checking it for sure you have anything to add to that, Brad? 
Yeah, you know, there's one one small piece to this. As my legs get a thermocline, I pretty much stop. Um, I stop the trolling process anyway because I've I've noticed that once that thermocline starts to develop, I'm calling some fish from some depths, and a lot of times I'm going to control my baits, and that's why I run a mass system is so that I can keep that, that bait that I'm trolling in the top five foot of water, sometimes down the 10 foot of water, but I'm always riding my baits higher, I would say, than, than lower. And we're fishing predatory fish. They like to feed up, and there's no reason that we can't uh, keep our baits higher. And once that thermocline develops, if you start pulling fish from, say, 30 feet down, and they're coming up five feet, you're going to start seeing some issues. So definitely, I pretty much shut it down once the thermoclide starts. Fortunately, Brad and I fish in two different areas for sure. If I find depths of 30 feet on my locator, that's typically probably some of the deeper lakes that I've been fishing. Most of the stuff I fish up in northern Wisconsin isn't that deep, clear, Cisco-based stuff. So Brad did mention some good points, definitely something to pay attention to. But certainly every single water isn't created equally. Oh, hands down, Jeff. You know, I have some other bodies of water that are just as deep. You know, we're looking at a hundred and some feet of water and they never do develop a thermocline. So that's something to be considered as well. For the most part, like I said, you're going to keep those baits up higher. I uh, have ran into troubles over the years where you're calling fish from too deep and you're going to have issues. One of the other things that I would say is that this year, primarily this year, I would say, it seems that a lot of people are getting more fish in the open water, casting the open water versus trolling. And I'm not exactly sure why yet. Um, Something that I've been working on and thinking about quite a bit. But uh, So don't be afraid to cast that open water. The one thing I can tell you is over a period of years of working open water, if you catch fish in a certain area, you definitely are going to catch multiple fish there over a period of years. So laying those waypoints, as you said, Jeff, can be very critical. I don't mark anything out in the open water on my GPS until I catch. And as soon as I hear a rod go off, boom, boom, I hit a waypoint, and I'm right there so that I know exactly where it happened, where it took place. And then from there, you can go back and catch some of those waypoints later if you'd like. Yeah, I will agree with that. Like I said earlier, I, I typically don't mark a lot of waypoints in open water unless it's actual structure related. You know, for us up in northern Wisconsin, I find cribs and stuff out in open water. Those are things that I'll mark on my locator. I will not typically mark much else. Like I said, if I do mark bait fish, I'll also make sure that I delete it off there because, of you know, they typically will move. But like Brad said, mark your waypoints when you catch one. That way you have something to go back to on future years. For anybody that's looking for more information on open water, we did a lot of it in um, episode two with dick pearson so if you want to go check out that episode it was probably just what two weeks back or so great episode we talked almost exclusively about open water and hopefully that will help you guys you know chase down a couple more fish this year by opening your horizons to open water but i think as far as that's concerned i think we've talked open water muskies frequently in the last few three four episodes and I think we should probably move on to something else. I'm with you, Jeff. Do you have any other questions that have been uh, posted out there? Well, so we got one here. It talks about finding a pattern in your method to start with. So, Brad, why don't you talk about your 
your deal because like like i said the difference the lakes that you fish are for sure different than the lakes that i fish but so for me i always just want to take time you know time of year is the biggest thing for me you know what the fish are doing you know at that particular time of the year i guess you know typically i'm not doing the open water thing like brad is early in the season i'm typically looking for shallow weeds spawning bays that kind of stuff and then i'm gonna go very like i'm gonna pay attention to water temperature if the water temperatures are super low i'll probably maybe use something that's a little bit slower presentation glide bait whatever but if i have multiple options in the in the uh, boat you never know what a muskie's gonna want from a day to day every muskie's different every year is different so mix it up with your tactics if you have a different you know if you have somebody else in the front i fish solo you know probably 50 percent of the time and but if i didn't i would always have somebody probably throwing a bucktail to search things out at least and then as we start to progress the fish start to push off of those you know little shallow water to the break lines to the open water and so for me i'm gonna probably about right now pretty quick you know, fish are done, recovered from the spawn. Everything's starting to set up the way it should. Weed growth is probably getting back on track. And I'm going to be looking for weed edges or just inside that weed edge a little bit. And so that's kind of my method for starting. It's always about water temperature and time of year for me. Those are the biggest factors. Yeah, for sure, Jeff. I mean, I said it a few weeks ago, you know, when it comes to spring, you definitely want to go try to find that new weed growth, that new healthy green stuff. I mean, that's what you're looking for. And I noticed uh, in the last couple of days, I mean, our, our cabbage is really shot up. So you definitely want to pay attention to that. And as the summer progresses, you know, weeds grow at different paces. So as that starts happening, it's definitely a key to holding bait fish, which then, again, it's, you know, it's all about the small stuff. It's about bugs. And then from there, it's about bait fish. And guess who comes behind? The predatory fish. So definitely things to think about and factor in when you're out on the water i know we didn't go real deep into it but there was also another question out there about uh seasonal progression and unfortunately due to just time because uh, we're kind of whipping this podcast together sort of quickly on the fly it wasn't uh like i said this this time of year can be sort of difficult brad and i don't have the luxury of saying oh yeah we'll just get up and we'll record a podcast at 9 a.m on a monday because i'm busy wiring things today i gotta meet up with a customer here shortly so we'll go. We'll dive down seasonal progression. I, there was a question about seasonal progression. We'll dive down that that whole uh, one of these upcoming episodes. I don't know which episode it'll be yet. It's not like we have everything real set in stone lately, do we, Brad? Hands down, we don't, Jeff. But <laughs> uh, you know, we we usually try to find a way to to hit up all these different topics. That's for sure. That's a fact. Yeah, like I said, this time of year can be it can be a little rough as far as that goes. We don't really have a whole whole plan of set out we always have a, a varying list of guests but it depends on what works out for brad i and a guest to get things rolling and it just hasn't worked out lately so we'll go back down that one one of the other questions we had was when do you come back to a fish that followed earlier do you throw the same blade same bait explain if the first fish was lazy versus aggressive brad you want to talk a little bit about going back on fish for sure we can do that um it's interesting. You know, I just had a, a text yesterday morning from a good friend of mine on a body of water north of me, a couple, three hours. As an example, he got his personal best yesterday morning. Basically, he was throwing blades, if I'm not mistaken. 
And the crazy thing is, is the third time he went back to that fish is one at eight. So personal best, it was over 50, it was a 55. Giant fish, really cool. Congrats to him. But, uh, you know, here's the deal. There's so many different factors, you know, watching and figuring out that fish's language, if you will. So if you have a fish, maybe it comes in super hot. Let's say it comes in super hot that first time, Jeff. Definitely something that you want to consider. If it comes in slow and just real lazy, kind of watch where it goes, what it's doing, and then that's when you kind of make that call, I would say. And if it's super lazy and just not really ready to go, I'm going to give that fish some time and probably come back to it, you know, on a, a moonrise, a moonset. You know, your majors and minors are definitely key. And it's, <laughs> I, I can't say that I have all the answers for that. You know, I've, I've caught them when I've come back at the right time, and I haven't caught them at the right time. So you, you definitely just need to try to figure out that language. When you have a really super hot fish, sometimes you can just peel back around and, and hit it again right away, and it pays off. I, I don't know, Jeff. I mean, that, that's a tough question to truly answer, but definitely think about your majors, your minors, sunset, sunrise, those types of things when it goes to going back on a fish. Well, the one thing that I've, I'll go back to is there's no real hard, fast rules when it comes to muskies. Like, we have guidelines and in certain situations that we think that we should do, but there's no real rules. Much like Brad said, though, a slow, lazy fish, you're probably not going to get him to go anytime. And then in, in the very short term, they best to go back on a moon phase. That's what I would do. You know, just like Brad said, and also like Brad said, hot fish, sometimes you can get him to go quicker. I mean, I've, we've gone back on fish. I don't know something we've gone back on them right away. I've gotten them to go. We've also waited a half an hour or so, went back on them with the same bait, and we've gotten them to go that way too. So unfortunately, I wish there was, you know, like, if you see this, then move to this, but it's not like a, a wiring diagram troubleshooting deal. Unfortunately, these fish, they react in different ways, and they all have different, I don't know, d different personalities, if you would say, and it's, it's just different every time. So you just got to keep playing around and then go back on, on what you see for experience more often than not. Yeah, and I think another part to that whole equation is that, you know, maybe you were too close to that fish when you cast it on it, and it came in lazy on you. Um, think about your boat, boat position as you go up on that fish again. If, uh, if it falls in and charges really super hard, you know, did he already know you were there? You know, that's something you got to consider as well. So maybe a different angle, but, you know, try to pinpoint where it's sitting, and then maybe stretch it out a little bit, you know, get away from that fish and cast right to where it was, but keep the boat another 20, 30 feet away from it. It's something to consider as well. So then Brad, I got a question for you. Cause we had another question here about like planer boards and it says, I like how people take planer boards off with a fish on while fishing solo. I'm assuming they're referring to inline planer boards, not big mast boards, obviously. So do you use many inline planer boards at all, Brad or not? Oh, I have in the past, yes. Um, I don't anymore with the, the system that I'm running currently. One of the things that I did there is the back part of the board, depending on what kind of board you're using, there's some that have a, a pin on the back, and that allows your line just to basically be attached, but freely, if, if that makes any sense at all. <laughs> um, and then the front, 
if you choose, you can you can buy different clip setups. And basically, what you're doing with that clip setup is once a fish is on, that board will break free and slide down to the fish. I think that's probably the best solution for a solo fisherman to be using a board. I don't know if I explained that very well, Jeff. Well, I think the boards that you're referring to are like the Gary Roach boards. I think those are the ones with the clip on the front, then you run it through, you you lift up the pin and you run it through on the backside. So basically, like you said, you can't lose the board because that, that pin would have to come out of there in order for you to completely lose lose the board. But once you undo the front clip, then like you said, it would slide freely down down the way. For me, I've always used the offshore boards and those I use like a big flapper clip on the front and then I use a red clip on the back with the pin. And like I say pin, it's a different pin system than what you had with the other one. It's just got like a little nub that sticks out of it basically so the the line can't pop forward from it. So when I used to fish, sometimes if I was fishing Green Bay though, we'd be fishing so, like we'd be running our baits so tight that I literally, if I was fishing by myself, I wouldn't even take the board off. I would literally just net the fish because it would be like, three feet of line, four feet of line, and a leader. So we would, I would just try to hold the rod back as far as I could and then go for the net that way. If you need to take the board off, uh, you're, it's, I don't want to say there's any real easy way to do it because it's always a struggle because you don't want slack line. So what I would do sometimes is I would just try to hold the, you know, I would basically hold the rod with my, my left hand or whatever and then try to unclip everything with my right hand Meanwhile, trying to hold as much tension and then flip-flop it back as quick as I could and try to reel up that slack as, as fast as you can. Unfortunately, I would say there's no great way to take a board off, an inline board off by yourself. The other thing is I always try to do I always try to do without them if I can. If I'm fishing deeper water and I'm going to, you know, and I got my baits down 10 feet, I don't worry so much about spooking fish as, as much as I would if I'm fishing shallower water. So for me, I always try to use planer boards as sparingly as possible, but you know, there's inherently issues that come with them when you're trying to get them off by yourself. Yeah, when it comes to a muskie, it, it becomes challenging, that's for sure, Jeff. So, uh, you know, there's ways around it too. You're saying you're using the offshore. If you go somewhere, and I don't know exactly where that is, but go somewhere where they sell other offshore clips and you can find a ton of different styles. So, and those, uh, those clips can be modified and changed per your board as well. So you can change the offshore boards, the little yellow ones where you can have that loose on the back end, you know, be creative. You can figure something out, whether it be like a, a shower curtain ring that, that locks on, you could have your line through that. I mean, there's all different kinds of ways to do it. So, I think, actually, Greg Thomas, I know years ago, did a little video clip on that. I don't know if that's out there on YouTube or not, but definitely talking about what we're we're talking about right now. I, myself, even on the church boards, like the TR, is it TRX 44, I think is what it is? Yep. The big orange board for handling a bigger, larger musky bait. Correct. I have taken offshore clips and mounted them on those church boards, so... That's uh, something that you can do too, kind of uh, help you out a little bit. The modification with the shower ring was one thing that I've definitely seen. I know if you use the standard clips that come with the offshore boards, the little orange ones, 
a lot of times I didn't have I didn't have to worry about them. The only bad thing was you'd have to go swing back around to get your board because a lot of times if you used the little orange clips, they were like good enough where your baits wouldn't necessarily slip. But at the same point, if you got a muskie that hit it, it would pop that board off almost every single time. So when I was first trolling on Green Bay, I lost, <laughs> I don't want to say I lost boards, but I lost them as far as the muskie would hit, the board would end up popping off. And then we'd have to swing back around, which became a kind of a pain in the butt. So I'd stop doing that. But if you wanted to, you could always modify your clips based on whether you're solo or you're with somebody. And it might be a pain in the butt to have to go back on them. But again, like Brad said, if you used an orange clip in the front, you used a shower curtain ring in the back, or even one of those, I'm thinking those rings that you use for the mass system too, anything to hold that on the back that doesn't keep it permanently attached or, or where you need to unclip it would work out just fine. That way, if at least if the front orange clip popped off, it would just slide down your down your line and you wouldn't have to go chase around behind and go pick it back up. That was one thing I didn't like when I was using two orange clips on offshore boards. Yeah, it makes life a little more interesting. Yeah, especially when you got a mass, you know, or not a mass, but when you're running six lines or whatever, not obviously if I'm by myself, I'm only running three, but if, you know, if I was fishing Green Bay and I was running six lines with a buddy of mine and we were still using those oranges as early days when I first started trolling, we used offshore boards with orange clips and we'd literally have a muskie on. It was great. The board would pop off, but we'd have to go swing back around and, and catch up to it. If I'm not mistaken, though, I want to say that's still the same technique that Jeff Hansen uses in Madison. I think he's chasing boards down pretty frequently when uh, when we were out trolling with him. I'm not, I can't remember exactly positively, but I'm fairly positive that he uses the offshore boards with orange clips. And, you know, 50% of the time or more, by the time you're done fighting the muskie, the board's gone. And you just got to go swing back around and catch it. Well, ultimately, you know, having that board totally free is the best solution, Jeff. Uh, that way you're not dealing with that. I've, I've seen it, had it happen. Um, all of a sudden that fish decides to go a different direction and your board catches water and it pulls the line right down. So, you know, being free once that fish eats is the best solution. I 100% agree. I can't argue with you one bit. Well, Brad, in an effort for me to make it to work and you to go about your day, Unfortunately, this is not going to be the longest podcast that we've ever had. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna give it a grade, I'm gonna give it a C. It's maybe average at best, but anyways, it was uh, the best that we could do under certain time constraints. Like I said, hopefully we'll have a few a guest for you next week. We don't even have that lined up yet. Like I said, I continue to add guests to my list, and then we just have to circle back on who's available, what time they're available, because this time of year, like I said, can be difficult, mostly because. Guides like Brad and everybody else that we talk to, they're on the water till 10 o'clock at night. And so we either need to burn the midnight oil or try to work something into our schedules that works out. So anyways, Brad, before we take off, why don't you talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Um, Proud manufacturers of the original big flashaboo uh, bladed baits. And you can check us out on multiple different venues. Um, First of all, our website is muskymayhemtackle.com. Second, you can check us out on Facebook as well as YouTube. And send us some pics. You're catching fish on our product. We'd love to see them. We'll post them up. So thank you to everybody out there that's supporting us. And as you support us, we're just going to continue to grow. And if you're looking for gear for your next muskie trip, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We are a retailer in the muskie world, and we carry stuff from custom colored in almost everything to 
stock colors in a lot of things. So if you're looking for something for this season, we probably have you covered. You can check us out at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We've been putting out a few YouTube videos lately. I wouldn't say a ton, but not for sure not weekly. I still don't know what my schedule is going to be like as far as releases on videos. Again, it's just just depends on time availability between editing podcasts, recording podcasts, putting out YouTube videos, trying to keep up with the regular job, keep a wife happy and the kids happy and uh, everything. It's it's a bit rough at this point of, point of the year, Brad. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's it's a bit rough. I got out of the shop this morning at 12 minutes after 12, I think is what it was. And then uh, I was back in the shop this morning at 6 just so I could get a few things done before I started talking to you. So anyways, enough about that. That's Team Rhino Outdoors. And if you want, you can check out Backlash Podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Email us, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. You're probably best off to post messages on Facebook if you have questions about stuff. Occasionally we're looking for, we'll say, hey, do you have any questions like we did on this episode? Certainly answer the, or, you know, post a question there. And we'll try to swing back and catch all those questions eventually. Like I said, it works well for us to have those available for when we need to put something together on the fly like we did this week. Anyways, Brad, uh, thanks again for coming out. I hope you have a great week of fishing. I know I'm going to probably get to get out on the water a little bit this week also. So I want to thank you for getting up early this morning and talking muskies with us or fishing with us. I just want to thank you for that and you have a good week. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks a lot, Jeff.